0: winter just go away as we wait for this storm to make its way up from the united states we check in with david phillips senior climatologist from environment canada to find out how this thing is tracking and all the models say it's coming what remains to be seen is who is going to get just how much snow artificial intelligence should we be concerned we had a fascinating conversation with celebrated science fiction author and futurist Robert J. Sawyer. And wild goose chases. I went on one this morning trying to find something at work, and boy, did we get some great stories from you on the wild goose chases you've been on and the ones you've sent people on for fun. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Tuesday, April 4th podcast for The Start. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Sorry, just a little sigh as I think about, what did you flag, Loren, from major to extreme?
1: (laughs) Well, you just heard Drew talk about what's coming our way with this Colorado low, and so they're talking about a winter storm warning now in effect, and you'll see various ranges of snowfalls, you know, in southern Manitoba, Red River Valley, Winnipeg, and it's the wind that's going to be concerning, I think, you know, for blizzard-like conditions, but then just out, you know, 20 minutes ago out of Grand Forks, Uh, And as Farnell, Anthony Farnell, meteorologist, just said in our newscast, you know, like the storm doesn't stop at the border. Well, here's the tweet from the National Weather Service of Grand Forks this morning. A major to extreme winter storm is set to impact the region today into Thursday morning. It will spread north today with the heaviest snowfall later tonight. Be prepared for widespread significant impacts. They're basically saying, do not travel. Difficult to impossible travel is expected. And the map that I'm looking at that they're using for Grand Forks Weather Office, of course, goes all the way to the border. And they're talking about anywhere from 13 to 20 inches of uh, snow. And then they got blowing wind conditions. So I just, black, black is the word of the day. Black, black,
2: black, black. 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 Take your pick, they both work, and of course we're sort of getting the outer banks, the you could argue the remnants of the storm that they're gonna get in North Dakota and into Minnesota. So we may get off lightly compared to our friends down south, but that, as we know, doesn't mean we're not going to feel the impact of that at some point. Probably you know, the greatest impact will be in several weeks when all that snow melts and makes it way makes its way. North on the Red River into Lake Winnipeg. This is, uh, I think we're hoping that this is going to be like it was a year ago next week, much ado about nothing, but it's not really looking that way at this point.
0: Yeah, and last, because last year there was a situation where (laughs) I heard so many people in Winnipeg say, ah, it only turned out to be 30 centimeters. That's nothing. Like That's still a foot of snow. And was it on Onanol that got like 80 or 85
1: centimeters? Oh, remember the video out of there? Yeah, it was on Onanol in the Parkview region because there's something to do with that ridge there within Ridey Mountain that, that allows the precipitation to sort of I don't even know what the word was, but there's people in waist deep snow. So for some pockets, like what sounds like a minor event turns out to be pretty major. And I was looking at some tweets from people in, is it Crystal City, Manitoba last night? And because of the blowing and the wind, you know, you might only get a certain amount of snow, but it can drift over in foot or two feet bunches depending on how it swirls around. So, yeah, it's no joke. And I'm... Like I like I said, I think I might just hunker down till May long, and then I can complain about a cold May long.
2: <laughs> well, tomorrow is the 26th anniversary of the, you know, some call it the storm of the century because it helped lead to the flood of the mm-hmm. century later on in 1997. So, uh, yeah, this is this is old hat for this part of the world, but you know, what are the ramifications? Uh, we won't really know for several days, several weeks,
0: Brett. Especially when you look at, and I'm really curious to see which forecaster turns out to be right. And I know David Phillips is going to join us at 7.05 from Environment Canada. But Environment Canada, they've now downgraded their Saturday forecast. They were, I think it was 9 degrees for both Saturday and Sunday yesterday morning. They're now saying 4 degrees on Saturday, but they're calling for 11 on Sunday. Seriously? Yeah. Okay. So if we get all that snow and then it gets up to 11 degrees, that's going to well, be a mess.
1: I, I it's going to melt like crazy, but it also, you know, as a sign of how people are just really can't wait for the warmth. I had someone text one of our neighbors at Clear Lake, are you going to the lake this weekend? It's supposed to be really warm. And I thought, <laughs> well, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Comparatively speaking, but I wasn't thinking I need to get it out to the lake on Sunday. But I guess, you know, you want to be where... You want to be where you feel that summertime love because we're done. We're sick of this.
0: I was out for a walk the other day. We were in a parka, mitts, and a toque. And some dude goes walking past me wearing T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. I'm guessing he lived, like, this was around uh, Nassau River. So he probably lives in a block right there and was just running to the store. But some people have just kind of, they've already said, that's it. I'm done. I was at Sobeys on Sunday, guy in a
2: T-shirt and shorts. Uh, kind of took a double take and I'm like, hey, to each road, <laughs> whatever suits <laughs> you, pal. <laughs>
0: Okay, so David Phillips joins us at 7.05 and of course we'll keep our eye on anything that is developing as it pertains to these storm situations. It's Tuesday, which means Breakfast with the Bombers at 7.35. We've got tickets to give away for Monday Night Raw. At 6.45 we'll tell you how you can win those. And we also have tickets to give away for the Manitoba Opera production of Cozy Fan Tutte and a pair of tickets for the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show. So we'll give those away at 7.55 and 8.55. And at 6.35 Five the Wren, uh, the latest from the food professor, and this has to do with the la- what Canada wants from its grocers.
1: Well, I think uh, as much as we're also done with complaining about snow, we might be done with complaining about the high cost of food. But the food professor in Dalhousie University, they went and surveyed some five nine thousand, rather nine thousand Canadians, uh, to talk about what they, who they're blaming, who they look to to fix, fix things, and we're getting to the idea of price freezes. Could we see more price freezes uh, so that we're not spending so much? Who are we looking to to fix this? You know, there's a big meeting before the House of Commons, the Committee on Agriculture and Agri-Food is delivering a report later this year on what they think can be done. And so who do we actually think can fix this, if anyone we will get into that at 637? Because uh, I think a lot of people are pretty fed up. They keep hearing that inflation is cooling, except they always say, except, Greg, at the pump in the grocery store.
2: That's right. So uh, what can be done? Uh, what's possible? What's realistic? We'll ask uh, the food professor in about uh, 25 minutes' time.
0: We keep hearing that inflation is cooling, except when it comes to the price at the pump and the price of food at the grocery store.
1: Yeah, I, I've said this for months now and years, and I, I, and at least a year it feels like. It doesn't feel like there's anything that you can get today that's cheaper or even the same price as it was a year ago. And so, of course, that has many Canadians wondering and asking if we're being gouged in some way. You know, are, are grocery store chains, big box stores pushing prices up higher than necessary? And I know we, many of us were watching as the CEOs of top chains like Sobeys and Walmart defended their practices at a recent parliamentary Committee hearing. And we want to know this morning, did you believe them? Because the folks at Dalhousie University Agri Food Analytics Lab, they asked 9,000 Canadians for their thoughts through a survey, just how much they trust the food industry and who they blame for the ongoing sticker shock. And the results might surprise you. For more, we're joined by the food professor, Sylvain Charlebois. Good morning. Good morning. So what came out of the study? What, what did you find?
3: Well, typically, uh, past surveys uh, were asking Canadians, well, do you think there's gouging going on? Yes or no? Well, so the vast majority of Canadians actually were saying yes, but we actually were, we nuanced uh, the issue a little bit. We basically asked Canadians, what do you think is the main factor driving food prices higher? Now. The uh, profiteering uh, came number one. It's the number one answer, but uh, barely at 30%. But close second is monetary fiscal policies by the government. So you you can include overspending, the carbon tax, uh, retail taxes, things like that. So we basically uh, plugged everything into one item and it came close second in Manitoba. Uh, it's basically split, so it's about twenty nine thirty percent for each option. So I thought that was interesting.
2: So where does the truth lie here, Sylvan? Like, is is this something that that we can quantify? That you've been able to quantify? Where where does the truth lie, and and who do we point <laughs> the finger at?
3: Well, here's the, here's the thing. So, uh, I think we we've spoken about this uh, many times before. Uh, we we don't we don't see any evidence of profiteering in Canada. Uh, we we have looked at margins the last six seven years. There's no there's no major differences. However, uh, margins are much higher in Canada than in the U S., which uh, which points to the lack of competition we have in Canada, and so. Yes, you can say record this, record that, uh, and some, some of that is true. But at the end of the day, uh, we don't believe that grocers are taking advantage of the inflationary wave. It's just that the market in Canada is not overly competitive. That's, the, that's really what the problem is.
0: And I see that some respondents to this survey, particularly in Quebec and Saskatchewan, don't think it has to do with price gouging, but inflation, monetary, and fiscal policy. So, how, how do they? How do? How would monetary policies weigh into the fact that the prices are high?
3: That was, that's interesting because uh, you know, uh, of, the, of all the provinces, I thought that perhaps Quebec and Saskatchewan would believe that uh, gouging is going on, but the two; those are the two provinces where they didn't see gouging as the number one factor and so uh, that's interesting the other of course the other issues are you know covid uh, ukraine the supply chain so those are other options that were offered to respondents but uh, generally speaking uh, what is expected from uh, from canadians is uh, our, our price freezes they actually want more of that uh, but they also want competition, and we did ask the question about the code of conduct, and that to me that 's the big surprise so we We did survey about ten thousand Canadians, so we had a pretty good sample size, about a third of them were aware of the code of conduct, and of the third so it 's about three thousand and five hundred people of of that sample. Uh, 68% are in favor of the Code of Conduct, seeing the Code of Conduct as being a mechanism to increase competition uh, and and supporting independent grocers and and processors. So I thought that was very interesting.
1: So this would be, the the Code of Conduct, for example, is talking about just making it more ethical, laying out rules for fines and penalties and all that kind of stuff, Sylvain. But in the meantime, putting those processes in place, take time waiting for a report from the parliamentary committee takes time waiting for the consumers association to tell us what's going on takes time and people are fed up. So when do you see prices coming down at the grocery store even a little bit anytime soon, because that's the one place where they continue to rise.
3: The the food inflation rate is expected to drop, uh, not food prices per se. Uh, yeah. We, so I mean, when you talk to uh, different companies in the in the food industry, you can clearly see that things uh, are are still quite challenging. Um, and, and again, I, I do want to remind your listeners that Canada still has one of the lowest food inflation rates in the world. Uh, it's much worse elsewhere. So this is a global phenomena, uh, but we're, and we're not immune to what's going on around the world. That's the thing. Uh, but we're. We're we're getting closer to the end of the worst, I would I would say, but we shouldn't be expecting food prices to drop. No, in fact, uh, there are some items where we think things are going to be better, uh, like pork, and and actually th- I, we think that chicken is actually going to be much more affordable over the summer. But beef, watch out for beef. We are expecting a bit of a upswing for beef in uh, months to come, right after the barbecue season, and. And also, uh, if you're a big fan of oranges, watch out. (laughs) Oranges are going to be more expensive this year due to what's going on in Florida.
2: Oh, well, thanks a lot, uh, Sylvan. One last thing, really quick before you go. If costs go down as anticipated, you're saying inflation isn't necessarily, food inflation isn't necessarily going to change. Does that mean that. prices are sort of here to stay do do you see prices retracting at all at any point or is this the new is this the new baseline
3: there's a new baseline for sure um but here's the deal with the food inflation rate which is why we talk a lot about the food inflation rate um as the rate gets lower it's much easier to plan for promotions and discounts and loss leading that's the thing so if things aren't as Uh, if things are more predictable for the food industry, as a consumer, you should expect more deals. So if you're careful out there, you can actually save, and you're likely going to be able to save more in months to come.
0: Sylvain Charlebois, thank you as always. We appreciate the time and insight.
3: All right. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. About to correct connect a couple of weird dots. Tickets for Monday Night Raw will be up for grabs. Okay. Has to do with wild goose chases today, which has to do with Children's Hospitals Week. So it's Children's Hospitals Week today through Friday, as promoted through all hospitals within the Children's Miracle Network. So the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba dropped off some bandages for us at reception yesterday at our front desk. Uh, with so that we could then take those bandages and write the name of either a hospital department that's important to us or the name of a child. And in this case, so Greg saluted the Nick U. I saluted Pacey, who is the Manitoba 2023 champion child. And that's great. So we got a note yesterday afternoon. The bandages have arrived. Perfect. I get here this morning. Where are they? Can't find them anywhere. I'm sky. I look in our studio. I look in the control room. I look on and around the front desk. I look in Power 97 studio, Peggy's studio, the program director for Power and Peggy, David Drake's office. I look at the promotions director's office or desk, nothing. So I assume they're locked up in the front desk. And it's like, well... Our, our day starts a little earlier than 8 o'clock, so uh, <laughs> you see, there's, no one thought to go grab them yesterday afternoon.
2: So that's what that hammering was? You were, you were breaking into the drawer in the reception area to get your hands on these bandages?
0: That's right. So uh, I was able to, the team over at Global already had their stash from last week, so they, they let Greg and I take their the remaining two. But they, uh, anyway, so I, was, I spent tw- honestly like 25 minutes trying to find these stupid bandages. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my morning wild goose chase. What's your wild goose chase? 204 780 Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Why don't we start with you, sir?
4: Uh, my wife is the biggest Dolly Parton fan in the world. And so when Dolly Parton came out with a line of Duncan Hines cakes, you can imagine how incredibly popular they were. She's like, you've got to find me this. I was in Grand Forks. Nothing. I was in Vegas with uh, friends for their 50th birthday party. I said, we have to go to like a Walmart so I can find (laughs) these, which kills the vibe immediately. From the The, the Walmart Vegas guy. Yeah, exactly. From the pool at Caesars to the Walmart. Not great. Couldn't find it. Finally stumbled upon them in a rando grocery store in Grand Cayman, and we bought them all. (laughs) Every single one of them, man. Finding Dolly Parton cakes. But the, the box looks super pretty, though. Are they good? Uh, they taste like any other Duncan Hines cake ever, <laughs> but it's got Dolly Parton's face
0: on it, so it's five times as good. Boy, I appreciate that determination.
5: Skylar Peters, what about you? Uh, I got a... Th- like, my whole life's a wild goose chase, to be honest. <laughs> like, I could just tell you 10 stories, but uh, I got to go back to one in particular. It was a season opener for the Winnipeg Freeze, of which I uh, call the play by play for in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Got my board all together, got everything set up, uh, like the 16 chords I need to, you know, put a show to air on this online radio station that we use and forgot an aux cord like the little auxiliary cord that you need you know you put it in your car you put it in your chevy cobalt and played it on your ipod like <laughs> 10 years ago right yep you can get them everywhere you can get them at 7-eleven
2: like they're a dollar 79 literally
5: yes and uh that's the one thing i forgot got there i had already talked to the coaches i got a couple of interviews to play in the intermission wrote down the lineups And uh, was just about to, you know, plug and play, no aux cord, (laughs) out at the uh, Bell MTS former Bell MTS Iceplex, Scotiabank Hockey For All Center, too far away from, you know, a Seven Eleven. I could have gone to Seven Eleven, and got one, no dice. So, uh, (laughs) the season opener. Uh was aired on hockey TV only, but not our uh, our online radio partner. So my apologies to Michael Girl if you're listening. Uh, that was six months ago. He probably still hasn't forgiven me, but uh, I did get to finish the season with him, so it couldn't have been that bad. There or they could go. have found a replacement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He was trying. Uh, Loren, what about you?
1: Well, this just has to do with a couple, you know, if you've ever lived in a different country and then you find something that you like that reminds you of home, mm-hmm. you you seize upon it, right? Or, or you feel like you crave it more because you can't have it. So for example, I'm a huge chip lover. And when I was living in Israel, you, I kept trying all sorts of different kinds of chips that would have the writing in Hebrew or Arabic, but you didn't really know what flavor you were getting. And I finally found salt and vinegar. I've told this in the old city in Jerusalem in, this, in a dusty box in the back. And I bought the store out of salt and vinegar chips. Oh. <laughs> the bigger one... <laughs> was bacon because of course in in israel like you know uh bacon is not eaten um by the large majority of populations for religious reasons and i couldn't find any good bacon and ended up finding it in the west bank near bethlehem and you have to go like show your ID, go behind the wall that between the West Bank and Israel and then go instead of and then instead of going to Bethlehem, which is like one of the largest tourist attractions, I'm the one that's driving like down the side road to find my bacon. And it turned out to be this little pork shop, the only pig farm, I think in the West Bank, where the people were Canadian Palestinians. And so I used to like source very random things and go to great lengths (laughs) To get them just because you wanted to have something that reminded you of home right you know how it is when you travel no matter where you go you get to that point where you're like i just want this to taste like home and when you find it you'll do whatever you can to keep it
0: right on this is exciting (laughs) stuff the adventures that you guys are on what about you greg I'm just on uh,
2: a hotel website because I want to make sure I mention the right hotels. I uh, did a driving vacation with the family. Oh, gosh, this is seven summers ago now. We went out to BC to see uh, family and friends. And on the way home, we stopped in Banff for one night. The hotel was about 400 bucks for the night because it was smack dab in the middle of tourist season. So we swallowed it. And of course, there was major stress because we wanted to get into the hotel. We'd driven from Kelowna. It was a long drive. The highway had been closed. And so I pulled into the Banff Caribou Lodge. Oh, nice. And uh, I asked, you know, you know, came in to check in. And sorry, sir, we don't have your name here Uh-oh. on the reservation list. Next I said, year. I'm sure of it. I know I booked it, etc. So you got to double check. They double check. They triple check. And so at this point, I'm not quite at the at the stage where I might be wrong. They're still wrong about where I was staying. Well, it turned out I was staying at the Rundle Stone Lodge. The two buildings look very similar. I was going based on okay. memory, which failed me. So... We were out later that night about chocolates for the front (laughs) desk of folks at at the Caribou Lodge uh, as an apology for my um, indignant behavior.
3: Wow.
0: Snow will start falling over southern Manitoba later today. Southeastern Manitoba
2: is expected to be hit the hardest. For more on where the storm is tracking and what we can expect, we're joined by Environment Canada's senior climatologist, David Phillips. David, good morning, my friend. Be with you. It's always great to hear your voice. Uh, typically, that means there's there's weather <laughs> in our <miserable> future when <laughs> we hear your voice. Sometimes you have good news, sometimes, yeah. and most times, let's be frank, it's not good. Is there any any chance that Winnipeg uh, skips misses <laughs> out <laughs> on this storm because it has happened before?
6: You know, it has, but, you know, uh, this storm has been well advertised. It's, we've seen it coming for a long time. Now, if you talked talk to me yesterday, I'd say, well, you know, the track is quite not there yet. We just don't know. The models seem a little moving all around, but oh, they're all focused right on now uh, the same situation. We've seen so much, uh, Brett, in the last uh, six weeks. These events that start with atmospheric rivers in California. They cross into Colorado or Texas, develop a low, and then it, it heads eastward. Now, so far, you guys have missed them. They've been south of the border. I mean, Bismarck, not too far, has, has had the third snowiest winter on record. You've had less snow than normal. They've just not come across the international border. This one has more of a northern track, so it's clearly going to affect Manitoba, uh, particularly east southeastern uh, Manitoba. I think Sprague may be, uh, we may see uh, 25, 30 centimeters of snow there, and clearly also in north, northern Ontario, and then the storm continues on into Ontario and Quebec, bringing freezing rain to the uh, to the Ottawa area. So it's a, a quite a miserable one. You know, Brett, I, I think that this is the big one of the, of the winter for you guys. You haven't had very much. Um, I think the previous uh, uh, heaviest snow was 9 centimeters. This one, I think, is probably going to bring you 15 over uh, beginning later tonight. I think it's going to start snowing in Manitoba, uh, you know, just uh, in the early evening, but really in Winnipeg, probably a couple hours before midnight, but will be an all-day affair tomorrow with heavier snow, strong winds, too, uh, uh, which could certainly cause some blowing and drifting and... And we would see certainly in more of the rural areas with these stronger winds, uh, we could see you know blizzard kind of conditions. So really white knuckling kind of conditions with this one. But this may be winter's last hurrah. I see temperatures that get up there on the weekend that are my gosh they seem tropical compared to uh, uh, to what uh, March has been like, for example. So my sense is this is uh, this is one I think will remind guys about the the storm about 26 years ago in about this time, April the 4th, 5th, 6th, that was a, a four-day event that dropped about 48 centimeters of snow and and did cause some some flooding conditions afterwards, but this one I don't think is clearly nearly as as potent as that one back uh, uh, more than a half a quarter of a century ago, but it's, it's, it's a big one. It's not going to miss you. It's not going to be divert at the last moment. It's going to be a, a hit on, but um, it, um, it's, uh, people are well warned.
1: We have just about 45 seconds here, David. So I want yeah. to ask, as you mentioned that we've sort of escaped these sort of storms so far this season, yes. and this might be one of our biggest. And that has listeners saying, hey, Environment Canada has been calling for storms a couple times this year, and they never came to fruition, so they're not believing this one. So uh, what's, what is it about this system that's maybe making it harder to track? Because you say it, it will hit. And so yeah. is it possible that it could shift in the hours ahead?
6: Yeah, I mean, that's always the hope, Loren, but I, I think it's, um, it's just not going to happen. I mean, we see this as uh, um, we have a number of models that we, we attract, the American models, the European models. They all say the same thing. So we're all going to be right on this. We're all wrong. But um, it is, um, it's, it's got the, and it's the size of the storm, too. Uh, it, um, you know, in, in Western man, uh, you're going to get maybe uh, five uh, centimeters or eight centimeters of snow. More in the Red River Valley, and then even more in uh, southeastern Manitoba. So, hey, it's uh, the are certain areas are going to be felt more by this. Uh, but uh, hey, I, I think it's uh, it's it's well tracked, and uh, I don't think it's going to disappoint.
0: And Jay, we got to sneak this in before we let you go uh, yeah. because, uh, and I know a lot can change between now and Sunday. But eleven degrees for oh Winnipeg God, on Sunday. Come on. That is that is like, uh, um, uh, and then even more
6: on Monday. Now, I'm not sure it's going to get that. I mean, oftentimes in the Red River Valley, the it, you have to kick that cold air out before those real warm temperatures come. But, hey, that's the breakthrough. And the other thing, guys, is that's with sunshine. My gosh, I, I could I think the muscle shirts and tank tops will be sprouting out there in Winnipeg.
0: <laughs> I didn't even see the sunny in 16 forecast for Monday. That's crazy. David Phillips, thank you very much. Always love talking to you, sir. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye now. Senior climatologist with Environment Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB. I'm just going to look at it, stare at it,
2: admire that 16 on Monday for as long as I can. In fact, you know how they say, why don't you take a picture? It lasts longer. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of this right now just in case it doesn't come to fruition. I can look back and the think about really, what might
1: have been. The sun pops off the page for that forecast too. You know, I don't normally see those icons. But for some reason, that sun that's shining there on that environment, Canada Monday forecast, is looking sweet. It's like it's winking at us.
0: It's hope. That's what it is. It is hope that it is going to change at last. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We have tickets to give away to see Monday Night Raw on August 14th, Canada Life Centre. We are asking you this morning to tell us a story about a wild goose chase. You went on, whether it was to find a specific item that you needed or maybe just something that you wanted or maybe you were trying to find a location and got bad directions. I don't know. 204-780-6868. Producer Jeff Forte, we didn't get to you last half hour. What you got? OK,
7: so when I was younger, me and my brother both living at home, I'd, I'd work till later. Like I'd get home at, you know, around midnight. But while I'm at work, my mom would text me and say, hey, you know, with some leftover spaghetti in the fridge. And so I get home after work, and I'm excited about this. I'm hungry. Go into the fridge, poking my head in there. I'm opening up everything I can find, and I'm not finding the spaghetti. And I'm going, what is going on here? (laughs) And so, of course, I'm looking downstairs in the fridge downstairs, come back upstairs, look in the dishwasher, and then you see a dirty plate with a marinara sauce on it. And I know my brother is the one who got it. It was supposed to be for me, oh. and I'm searched for it, and you, like I just have this such high expectation, mm-hmm. and then it's mm-hmm. just so disappointing. And actually, I was thinking about this story <laughs> during the 7 o'clock news. I was like, I brought pizza pops to work, and it's happened to me before <laughs> where somebody ate my pizza pops, so I actually went and put my name on my pizza pops during the 7 o'clock news.
0: <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Oh, man. Do you recall what you ended up eating after the spaghetti was determined to be consumed?
7: No, I probably had, like, cereal or something <laughs> like that. It was good old cereal. Oh, the good old that's... fallback. Was your brother working as well? Oh, of course, he was working, but uh, doing different hours, so. Uh...
1: The leftover situation, you know when you, you know it's in your fridge and you're dreaming of it? Like, you're on your way home, you're like, oh, that leftover Chinese or that lasagna is going to be so good. And when you discover someone else has eaten it, like, I am mad. Or worse, they eat almost all of it. <laughs> and leave like, this happens in my house a lot, like just tiny morsels are left behind. Like, oh, I didn't eat all of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might as well have. <laughs> I know on the takeout boxes at our restaurant in uh, Vernon back in the day, Zappiano's Pasta Bar, we used to write on the boxes on behalf of our customers, this is Darren's leftover lasagna. Do not touch. <laughs> Do not open till December 25th. Always a creative note. Because the the leftovers were coveted. Almost as good as the meal when you first had it hot out of the oven.
0: 204-780-6868. What's your wild goose chase story? Tell us a story for a chance to win tickets for Monday Night Raw. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. By the way, don't forget the pre-sale starts today at 10. And it goes until 10 p.m. tomorrow. The code through Ticketmaster is RAW. And tickets go on sale on Thursday. (music) It's Tuesday after 7.30, which means breakfast with the bombers for cooperators investing in your future together. And we are, if you can believe it... Just 40 days, 4-0, from the first day of main training camp for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
2: And for the first time in four years, we aren't talking about the Blue Bombers as the defending Grey Cup champions as we preview an upcoming season. That doesn't mean the Blue Bombers aren't the favorites to capture the 2023 League Championship. Joining us in studio this morning is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. DT, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, Not the defending champs, but the Bombers are still the team to beat. Yes,
4: they are the betting favorite and they have been since forever. And when you look at what's happened to other teams around the league, to me, they absolutely are the favorite. Once again, everything is dependent on who gets hurt and when they get hurt. And uh, let's just put that out there. But BC got significantly worse with Nathan Rourke going to the NFL. Calgary got worse through free agency. Some teams in the East, Okay, up and down, but you don't play them till the Grey Cup. Edmonton's going to get better. Saskatchewan, I don't really know. So to me, Winnipeg is the runaway favorite at the moment. Dot, dot, dot. Anything could happen. Dot, dot, dot. Don't hold me to this six months from now.
1: Derek, you've worked around a lot of sports teams over the years and and so much has been made about the culture of this one, about the locker room for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And and, and in the beginning, some might have thought it's a line that's being used, but it's become really a sort of a mantra. And I'm wondering, is that something all teams say about themselves or something they all aspire to want to be able to say about themselves?
4: Oh, 100 percent. They all say it about themselves. We're building a culture and we're building a family and there's some version of that. 100 percent. Every team does that. But there's something about the bombers, and I don't just say this because we're in Winnipeg and I'm the voice of the bombers. You look at them, even as a looking from afar, you go, there's something about them that gets Willie Jefferson or Adam Big Hill or Jackson Jeffcoat. or or Nick Dembski, or Kenny Lawler might be the best example, to re-sign for less money than they could get on the open market. I think we can all look around and go, hey, if someone offered me 50 grand more a year to do my job, I would very strongly consider that, right? Just we're we're all people. But there's something about them that gets them to take less money to stay here in Winnipeg and work for Mike O'Shea and Kyle Walters and Richie Hall and Buck Pierce. So it, it is something everything says, but the Bombers currently to me, are going through a very nice position of, hey, uh, this is culture and we've gotten star players to buy into what we're selling here.
0: So with the Blue Bombers being the team to beat, are there some other teams potentially on the rise? Like out of the three non-playoff teams last year, Saskatchewan, Ottawa, and Edmonton, are any of them poised to become playoff teams this season? I think two of those three are going
4: to be playoff teams this season. I think Edmonton has done some real nice things. They're not the best quarterback team in the, in the Canadian football league. I'm not a fan of their quarterback, Taylor Cornelius. So what they did is they went and bought the best receivers money could buy, which that's the thing you're going to have to do. So I think Edmonton makes the playoffs. Chris Jones in year two, he makes the playoffs. That's what he does. Ottawa, to me, only didn't make the playoffs because their quarterback got gooned in week four. So Jeremiah Masoli is healthy. They're set it back up there to me. Ottawa makes the playoffs Saskatchewan. I was going through the roster and I want to like them that they've acquired Trevor Harris, but they don't have a ton of talent in and around that apart from their defensive lines. So I think Saskatchewan potentially will miss out for a second straight season at the moment, but uh, watch out for Edmonton in the West.
2: Saskatchewan also can be without arguably well, definitely their best receiver, but arguably their best player, Kean Schaefer-Baker's injured. He's going to be out for a little while. So that might mean they get off to a slow start, and the question then remains, do they recover from that slow start if it materializes? Exactly. Early season matchup with the Bombers, right? That's but, going to be a problem. So some of the top sports executives over the years, uh, DT, have, have – espoused a philosophy that they'd rather move on from a player a year early than a year too late in terms of trading them or cutting them. And The NHL, Glenn Sather was famous for that. Worked pretty well for him in Edmonton and worked pretty well in the Rangers as that well. That Gretzky guy had to go. Just, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> was a time. weight around our time. neck. Yeah, yeah. Wally Buono <laughs> comes to mind in the CFL. I think Nagel, Huffnagle, John Huff has had a similar philosophy in Calgary. Is there a chance that the Blue Bombers are holding on to some players a little bit too long. I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone specifically, but the whole idea of keeping the band together is that, it, it, could there be a flaw in that philosophy?
4: Uh, yes, they are and will hold on to some players too long. And yes, they're absolutely right to do it. Okay. it's it, it seems like it might be contradictory, but Stanley Bryant, I, I just charted down some ages of guys the age they'll be at uh, the banjo bowl, like Stanley Bryant will be 37 when the banjo bowl that's older. Stanley wasn't as good last year as he's been in past years, but he was for the fourth time, the offensive lineman of the year in the Canadian football league. And you go, okay, there's, there may be somebody younger, but he fits what they want to do. He fits the salary structure they want to play in. He is still very good. He was to me, the best left tackle in the league last year. So Yes, you keep him around. Zach Kalaris, 35 for the Banjo Bull. Jamarcus Hardrick will be 33. You keep Hardrick for a while. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, Willie Jefferson, 32. Patty Newfeld, 34. You might want to be younger at right guard, but you love Patty Newfeld. You love the guy he is. You love how he's embraced Winnipeg, and he does what you need him to do. I, I think they will hold on to guys for too long because, honestly, Maybe the biggest part for me is why mess with a good thing? You just won 15 games last season. Why mess with it? Ride her till she bucks you, as they say.
2: Does it make a difference that they have two Grey Cup banners with this group? You've got two in the rearview mirror as opposed to chasing after the, you know, and breaking the 29, what would be now like a 32-year drought. Oh, had you,
4: had you lost three straight Grey Cups, you'd probably be showing some guys the door. But you've been to the mountaintop with these guys. What's what's the incentive to change? Well, we might be better in 2027. Who cares? Let's your your window is now. And in sports, when it's your window to win a championship, you sell out to win it. I'm I'm a fan of sell out to win it because 30 years from now, we'll remember that the Bombers pretend their run is over. We'll right. remember the Bombers went to 3 straight great cups. Sure. And 30 years from now, we could be like, you know what? They won four great cups in five years. Again, I remember my grandpa remembers the first time that (laughs) happened. Right? Let's do it. So to me, in every sport, when you can win a title, sell out to win it. And honestly, don't mess with a good thing. Carpe
0: diem, baby. Mm -hmm. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live for breakfast with the Bombers. Derek, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you having me. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. In a moment, we have a question for you about your cell phone. But before that, Loren, you had a question uh, for the chief of police. We were just talking about concerns led by a group of Canadian chiefs of police led by Winnipeg's top cop, Danny Smythe. They're looking to meet with Canada's premiers to address uh, the perception of their job and safety concerns. And what uh, what's the what do they say?
1: Yeah, I put an ask into the Canadian Association of Chiefs to speak with Danny Smythe about the letter that he sent to premiers calling for this urgent meeting. They informed me that uh, Chief Smythe is not available today, but they are working on getting someone to have some comment. And I really do hope we can hear from some of the chiefs about what they're calling an urgent need for discussion over crime in this country and of course uh crime against officers we've had several officers killed in the last six months nine eight of them for random violence and so what's their concern when it comes to just their job and being on the front line and what they're seeing and then what's the general concern for all of canadians and so we'd like to hear from the police themselves but we also hope to hear from our leaders uh, will a meeting happen could it happen and, and and if if so how soon because i think everyone can agree that we need to stop talking about crime and, and start looking at some specifics in terms of how we're going to address what's going on out there.
0: You can weigh in at 204-780-6868 on your cellular device. And the reason why we're asking you about that is our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Yesterday afternoon, we asked you, Monday marked the 50th anniversary of the cell phone. When did you get your first one? I'm just pulling up the updated results at CJOB.com. But we had, so within the last 15 years, we had uh, 50, pardon me, 16% said that, 52% say 15 to 30, 24% or 23% say 30 to 45 years, and uh, 8% say don't have one. So cast your vote CJOB.com. I guess I'd fall into the 15 to 30 category I don't remember the year but yeah, I remember it was an Audiovox it was a bar phone
2: yeah, yeah I had I think a Nokia was the first one the one of those uh uh smaller Nokias mm-hmm. that would have been 1999 I held off for for quite a bit before I got one so I'm in that same range I would like to be most days in that category of don't have one yeah <laughs> yes I, I you know for as much as I use it as a tool I, I would I would happily give it up most days just to just to have the silence, Loren. And the idea that uh, the phone calls that I get on this personal computer never are for <laughs> me. They, they, they are nine times out of ten. They are they are either soliciting something or I answer the phone and it's somebody uh, it's a recording in, in a foreign language. Or I just don't answer the phone and the voicemail is incomprehensible.
1: Yeah, I I think I got my cell phone the same year as you or maybe the year prior. I used to have a friend that worked at Future Shop. So I got a great deal back when Future Shop was still around. But I don't know why I had it. Like, I think it was only usable. I still think it might have only been usable in the car. I can't recall. It was Holy heavy. Holy smokes. It was Like in heavy. a bag? No, wait. I used to have it in my purse, too. It was a heavy phone. Um. And that was for like the emergency purposes of driving, right? And now I just like the last time I had, I absolutely needed my phone. I can't recall really, you know, where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this right now. And, and even then it's like quickly get a hold of your husband because he's on his way to the grocery store and I've got another thing on the list, you know, like I'm sure he'd like me to get rid of my cell phone too. Um, I think, I think we're too, I think I think they've become too much because the not, you'll find you like reach for it. Like it's always around you and you reach for it. And if it's not there, you're at a loss. I had to get my phone repaired a few months ago and I didn't have it for an hour and I needed to get something hemmed. And I was looking for a seamstress and then I reached for my phone and was like, wait, I don't have my phone to look for the seamstress. And then I, someone said, oh, there's this place off Pemina. Then then I reached for my phone again because I was looking for the address. Like it, it becomes ridiculous. You stop problem solving on your own and knowing where things are and how to get around. Like I, we, you, I know Kelly Moore talks about social media making us less social, but I think the phones also just impact just how smart we are and how analytical we are too.
0: Yeah. And there's a headline at uh, globalnews.ca. That's interesting. Dumb phones on the rise in U S as Gen Z looks to curb screen time. And I love the caption on the photo that's in this article, by the way, file, a stack of old flip phones on a dark background, courtesy of Getty Images. But that's what it is. It's a picture of a bunch of just old flip phones and not these sort of newfangled flip phones. Like Motorola has a razor now, but it's a touchscreen phone. Like it's a flip phone, but it's still a smartphone. And uh, the idea of going back to a flip phone, I still have my old Samsung flip phone somewhere in a box. I wonder if it would still function on uh, current network. Probably not, but uh, maybe I can get a new one because, yeah, I sort of like the idea as well. I can't, if my phone is beside me, I can't relax. There's something that's always on edge where I'm always sort of looking out the corner of my eye to make sure that I'm not missing some sort of important work-related notification. And then I I try to tell myself like, dude, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Like you're allowed to take a break and put your phone away and if it takes you an hour to get back to greg or loren or your boss or whoever the world will continue to revolve
1: this is why i love so i was off a couple, several days last week for spring break and it didn't feel it was a great week please don't get me wrong and i'm very thankful to have that time with my kids but because of the phone and my access to internet everywhere we went i, I was not a, as relaxing as the, that great vacation where you leave the country and you um, don't get the data plan and you just don't communicate And your life is great. Never done that. And it is so good. It is so rewarding. I I literally put the phone in a safe and just say, forget it. I'm not touching it. I'm not even going to take pictures. Somebody else can take pictures. I just don't want to be connected. And I found last week, I thought, huh, this is funny because usually we're going somewhere or I'm in the States or something. I just don't get the data plan. And I just felt like I was too in the know all week long about things that I didn't want to know about.
2: I feel sad now.
8: Yeah.
0: It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. A reminder that this is your last chance to tell us about a wild goose chase for a chance to win tickets to see Monday Night Raw on August 14th like Jason B., who says, When I was in high school, rural town, we released three piglets into the school, numbered them with paint one, two, and four. So the janitor spent hours looking for number three. (laughs)
1: Whoops. (laughs) I like it
0: devious, mischievous. So keep those coming for a chance to win. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, if you want a joint, some CBD oil, cannabis-infused drink, all you got to do is head to one of the many stores now available in this province to find what you need.
1: Yeah, they're really all over the place. And and for some Canadians, you know, going to that store is about finding a way to have some fun or finding a way to relax. But for many others, cannabis has been used for a while now for medical reasons, maybe for pain or nausea or anxiety. And, and until it was legalized a few years ago, medical users, the process was to apply for a license and then get that product from a medical cannabis license seller. So it was like a prescription. But a new study finds that many users medical users are just going to the local store. Dr. Linda Balneves is an associate professor at the College of Nursing with the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences at U of M and she's also the principal investigator behind this 5,700 person study. Good morning. Good morning. So what stood out for you in terms of what you found, what respondents were saying?
9: Yeah. You know, so what we found is that people were using medical cannabis and saying it was very or extremely effective in managing some of the symptoms you mentioned, nausea, vomiting, Epilepsy, uh, anxiety, um, but what we also found is that uh, they were using it to uh, as a replacement for other medications, in particular, they were using it to uh, reduce their use of opioids. Uh, we had twenty two percent said it reduced their use of opioids. We also found though that people were using it alongside other medications, about fifty seven percent so while people found it really useful and helpful in some context, what they were telling us, though, is that they were really struggling to access it. Cost was a huge issue for participants in our study. They were spending around 125 to $200 a month. Uh, and with 30% of our sample making a, an income of only 35000 a year, you know, that really hit their pocketbooks. Uh, and what also made it really challenging for many of our uh, individuals with medical authorization is that only 6% were able to get reimbursement through private or public health insurance. So, again, most of these people were paying for medical cannabis each month out of their own pockets.
2: So is medical cannabis more expensive than the stuff that I would get at a, at a retailer, Dr. Belnevese?
9: You know what? That's what participants were telling us. They were saying that it's more expensive within the, you know, from our licensed sellers. Uh, I can get it cheaper if I go through the recreational market. And we also had some individuals that told us that they were finding it cheaper through the unregulated market. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's it's not going through Health Canada, and there's those risks around contamination as well as having inappropriate labeling. So they're not really sure how much dose of cannabis they're getting.
2: So then you're talking about the fact that more than half are using this in conjunction with other medications or perhaps as a replacement for some. So does that eliminate the opportunity for proper consultation about interaction amongst cannabis and these other drugs? Is that one of the concerns here?
9: Most definitely. You know, we had about 46% of our sample that don't have medical authorization. As you mentioned, a lot of them are just going into the recreational stores to pick it up. Um, But our butt tenders are not allowed to actually give out medical advice. Uh, We also had a lot of people telling us that they were going to Google and other kind of non-evidence-based sources to get information around cannabis. They really struggled uh, in getting advice from their healthcare care professionals. Uh, they were unwilling to talk about it. Uh, their doctors and nurse practitioners were saying, I don't know anything about it. And so they weren't supportive of them getting medical authorization. So again, we're seeing these people having to go through the recreational market, which really isn't set up to support people in making evidence-informed decisions, having conversations about, you know, drug-drug interactions, using cannabis alongside other medications, as well as what's a safe dosage.
1: What's the takeaway here Dr. Bell News? because you have people saying that they it's it's helpful to them for their medical reasons but it's too expensive to get it through that licensed medical practitioner so they're going to the recreational or unregulated market getting it off the street and then they might be getting the bad product or advice bad advice so what's what what's Mm -hmm. the takeaway what should we be doing in terms of a fix so to speak
9: You know, there are several key takeaways. You know, one is that we really do need to keep um, the medical cannabis program. It needs to be kept separate from the recreational market. We need to be evaluating it and how well it's working and in conjunction with patients, clinicians, you know, and other key experts. The other thing is we have to revisit our tax policy. You know, here in Manitoba, medical cannabis has PST on it whereas the recreational cannabis does not have PST. Um, We also need to be working with our insurance companies to ensure that medical cannabis uh, costs are actually included in their plans. A few other things that we need to be thinking about is better training our health professionals, our physicians, our nurses, and our pharmacists, so that they can have these conversations with uh, patients around safely using medical cannabis. Um, And we also need to be thinking about more innovative ways for people to access medical cannabis, for example, getting it through a community pharmacy where they can actually have a good conversation about what's safe and whether cannabis could be effective for their health conditions. You know, and lastly, we need a federal resource hub that's updated on a regular basis, has good evidence, so that patients and clinicians have a place to go uh, to get good information and to be able to support uh, themselves in making uh, sound decisions.
0: Dr. Linda Balneves, associate professor at the College of Nursing, Rady Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba, thank you very much to t- uh, for joining us to tell us about this study.
9: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, your wild goose chase stories, whether it's one you were on, maybe it's one that you sent somebody on, maybe it was a prank, wild goose chase. And Loren, why don't you start us off, one of our runners up here for a chance to win Monday Night Raw tickets, and uh, I immediately thought of you when I started reading this text.
1: (laughs) They say, my uncle once sent us on what can only be described as a mental wild goose chase he was talking about having to travel for work, but couldn't remember the name of the town in Manitoba that he was going to be working in. All he remembered was that the town started with an M. We proceeded to list all the M towns in the province that we could think of. woo, Miami, Manitou, Melitta, Morse. None of them were the right town. An hour later, my uncle exclaims, Emerson, I'm working in Emerson. <laughs> We still laugh about this and bug him to this day. But to be fair, it did have an M in the name.
2: Totally did. I'm with the uncle on this one.
1: Yep.
0: Yep, that's a good one. That's a great one. Uh, always tough to pick one winner, but Greg, uh, this parent uh, got into some mischief with their kids. Getting my twins to go
2: outside is difficult because all they want to do is be playing video games or on their phones. Surprise, surprise. So last summer I said, let's go Let's go to Selkirk Park and do a scavenger hunt with a couple of their friends. I gave them all maps and off they went. About an hour later, they came back frustrated and said, we can't find anything started to laugh and said, that's because I didn't hide anything. It just made the maps. They weren't very happy, but at least I got them outside for an hour.
0: Well done. Very crafty. Well played. Very crafty. They probably still had fun exploring the park. But, uh, yeah, not being able to find the the stuff that's purportedly on the map, I guess, would be a little frustrating. But uh, John is our winner. John McTavish sent us not one but two stories. So sent the, the, one of these runners up, Greg, actually, you got excited about because you knew the place immediately.
2: Yes. Working at the Sandbar on Granville Island in Vancouver in the kitchen, as well as the Granville Island Hotel. I had a buddy work there. We had lots of good times at the Sandbar trying to find out if we can connect my buddy with John here. Whenever we had a new line cook start, they were quite often right out of culinary school because we had the markets and other restaurants on the island. We would often send them to pick up something from the other restaurants like canned steam, ice mix, or a banana peeler. (laughs) Nothing like sending a new recruit with a giant pot, the biggest pot in the restaurant, <laughs> down the way for some steam for the cappuccino. Is that cheated? what you did? Oh, yes. That's Regularly. Funny. That's funny. What do they do? Uh, they come back uh, with an empty pot. <laughs> Very dismayed. Eventually, one of the business said, please stop sending your people here
0: for, for a pot of steam. <laughs> but uh, John's winning text. This is this, this is tragic. John says, early 90s, before Vancouver got the Grizzlies, I was a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan. They announced an exhibition game, so I bought tickets to go see them. I was finally going to get to see Magic Johnson live, along with the other stars on the team, so I made sure that I put the tickets somewhere safe. Cut to the day of the game. A month or so after I bought the tickets, I could not find them. I tore my room apart twice, and then pretty much destroyed the house looking for them, my parents were not impressed. No matter where I looked, I could not find them. So I ended up missing the game. Oh, Those tickets are still somewhere in that house 30 years oh. later, somewhere safe. To make matters worse, a day or so later, Magic Johnson announced he was HIV positive. So even though he did come back for a little while later on, I never got to see him play live, says John. And uh, he confirms that the tickets, they're there, he never found them. That's crazy. 1991. My word. You talk about that, Loren, about the, the, I put it away for safekeeping. It's it's so safe, you can't find it.
1: I cannot, and I cannot recall where it was. And the worst part is you look in all those spots, and you just think, like, where could it be? And then you go back, and it's usually the fourth time when you go back to a spot. Like, my passports were underneath the car seat once, and I looked there. (laughs) I looked. And we had a trip planned that day to go south, and I was like, oh, my gosh. oh
2: safekeeping. You can travel with just about anything except your passport.
1: Oh my gosh. Well,
0: John, it's not quite the Showtime-era Lakers, but Monday Night Raw hopefully will be a magical time for you, Monday, August 14th. Congratulations. Excited are we to have this next chat because concerns and celebrations over a technology known as artificial intelligence intelligence rather are not new. If it seems as though the spotlight put on AI is as bright as ever, you're likely correct.
1: Yeah, stories about AI fill my news feed on a regular basis because in the past several months, there have been so many headlines just at globalnews.ca alone. Here's a few of them. Inside the mind of ChatGBT, how artificial intelligence is changing the way we learn. Another headline said, from deep fakes to ChatGBT, misinformation thrives with AI advancements. And then there was one about AI and privacy, and experts worry users may have already traded a lot for services. The news isn't all negative. Uh, There was a story about kickstarting new discoveries in health through AI, although that story, Greg, goes back to 2019. It does feel Like there's a lot more negative than positive in the days of now.
2: This, Which which is why we're drawing on our next guest who has a lengthy resume and has been discussing AI as an author and a futurist for us here on CJOB for several years now. He is one of only eight writers in history and the only Canadian to win all three of the science fiction field's top honors for best novel of the year. He's won the World Science Fiction Society's Hugo Award, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America's Nebula Award and the John W. Campbell Memorial Award. He's a member of the Order of Canada. The 20 2009-2010 uh, ABC series Flash Forward was based on his novel of the same name and he was a scriptwriter for that series. That and much else on his resume, we welcome back to the start, author and love this title, futurist Robert J. Sawyer. My friend, Robert, welcome back to the show.
8: Hi, Greg. It's wonderful to be back. Thank you so, so much.
2: So, ChatGPT was released late last year and people around the world suddenly awoke to the major advancements going on in the world of artificial intelligence. For many, what once seemed like a science fiction fantasy was now reality. What can you tell us? and tell the uninitiated about ChatGPT and other programs like it.
8: Right. So, you know, we all talk about how we've been monetized through the use of social media, that we are the product. Well, it turned out the reason they were, uh, the big companies were so interested in our little everyday interactions uh, was because they were building this massive set of data about human interactions from monitoring Facebook and Twitter and you name it, and also everything that had ever been written by anybody, which has now all been digitized online, and suddenly there was, as they would say in uh, lexography, a corpus, a body of human interaction, human sentences, human writing and human talk and chat that could be digested by a machine, by a computer, a number of them now, of course, each at a different competing company. And what can come out of having studied all of that is the ability to flawlessly generate new, unique, never-before-uttered sentences that answer questions in a very human-sounding way. And it might be in your voice an imitation of you, an imitation of Mark Twain, an imitation of Margaret Atwood, whoever's voice, whoever's style you want to hear something presented in, an answer to any question you might ask, ChatGPT and its competitors are now fully capable of doing that. Now, they're not any more accurate than the information they drew upon, so they're just as likely to be wrong, flawed, have blind spots in their thinking as anybody on the internet, anybody, any person, including an artificial one on the internet might have today.
1: I can't decide if this is amazing or terrifying or both. And so I want to go back to another headline in the BBC in 2015, Microsoft's Bill Gates insisted that AI is a threat. And so let's just talk about how long this threat's been brewing, Robert. Absolutely.
8: So, you know, the problem with, uh, with uh, Bill Gates and, and uh, uh, Stephen Hawking, the great physicist, who also came to say that shortly before he died, is they weren't reading science fiction or paying enough attention early on. Because we have been saying since the very beginning of the thinking about computers, artificial intelligence, robots, that, uh, you know, yeah, it might be a great boon for humanity but it also might be our downfall, that there has to be uh, caution, Uh, has to be caution when we pursue this. And the thing is that there is no government oversight of artificial intelligence. As soon as Dolly the sheep was cloned, another thing that was uh, predicted, you know, decades, decades earlier in science fiction, when it actually happened, the governments of the world rallied and said, okay, are we going to allow cloning of human beings? We're going to, There was a huge debate open public debate and very rapid legislation to deal with these breakthroughs but ai research happens by and large by two types of institutions neither of which are subject to public scrutiny private corporations right the googles and the microsoft's of the world and the militaries of various countries which of course you claim secrecy of what they're doing. There's no oversight. So what Bill Gates finally came to realize is that given that either the motive is profit or military domination that's driving the development of AI, it maybe is not being done with the best of human interests at heart.
0: Our guest is celebrated author and futurist, Robert J. Sawyer, and we're talking about AI. So, Robert, I mean, how... (laughs) How concerned should I be that one day, sooner than later, I'm going to see a guy walking down the hallway who looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and wearing sunglasses and appears to be carrying a box of roses, but it's really not a box of roses. He's coming after me. Like I, is it, I know that we've been telling these stories for decades in science fiction, but is this what we're potential the kind of thing that we're potentially moving toward?
8: Well, yes, that, that's the Terminator, of course, that by the great Canadian director James Cameron, that film. Uh, and uh, we're absolutely should be concerned because whenever uh, AI, right now, AI is still dumb as a post, but at some point, it may actually gain consciousness, sentience, self awareness. And there's no reason to think that its desires will be the same as our desires. There's a big issue in artificial intelligence research called values alignment, which is the whole question of how do we align, make uh, parallel with our own values, morals, ethics, concerns, and desires, those that machines might have. But what's a more pressing and recent concern is that I could be an AI, Right. The voice synthesis technology is just as good as the text generating technology right now. You could have called your old friend, Robert J. Sawyer, happened to be in Toronto right now, or it could be a computer doing this. For my point of view, you three might all be chatbots in a couple of years. And I know people don't care too much about radio morning hosts or about science fiction writers. But I was in a conversation last week with a lawyer who suddenly slapped his forehead and said, "Oh my goodness, my job is going to be eliminated too. My five hundred dollar an hour job, almost all the work I do, could just as easily be done by an AI."
2: That's uh, sort of frightening on so many levels, and, and frightening not necessarily in a ooh, scary way, but frightening in an overall sense that 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 we could be deemed expendable, expendable and and that's been the concern for so so long uh we gotta let you go here Robert but the, the first movie that I saw that I think de- depicts a sort of this this conscientiousness uh playing out with the computer is the the movie war games way back in the 80s with Matthew Broderick and fortunately you know when Broderick's character asks a computer at NORAD or you know do you want to play nerd war the computer finally realized that the game is unwinnable is there is there hope that the, the computers of the future are, are that smart
8: you know uh, absolutely and in any kind of game theory there are four boxes win 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 lose 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 and lose lose uh we want to be in that win win one where it's a win for us and a win for artificial intelligence but that's only one of four possibilities in any competitive situation we're going to have to work very very hard to make sure they the inevitable rise of artificial intelligence and us the existing human beings find a way to live and work together in harmony for the mutual benefit of each other that's going to take work and vigilance
0: Robert J. Sawyer, author and futurist, joining us live to talk AI. What a pleasure. What a treat, as always. Thank you so much for joining us. Right on, Take care. Bye-bye.